0: For whatever reason, my computer just tried to open up 26 windows of Excel, and oh, right. yeah, so that froze my computer. So there we go. I
1: tell you, Rich, it's week one, and you're already giving me problems. I'm I know. like this. That does not bode well for the
0: 2019 season. Not a good omen.
1: You are no Bill Belichick. I'll tell you that
0: much. Uh, I believe I am exactly Bill Belichick when it comes to technology. So thank you. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: You are now listening to. Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit podcast. Week one of the NFL is upon us. It is finally time for Patriots football in earnest. Training camp is over. Preseason is over. The draft is done. The team's been locked in. It is time. Ready for Patriots Steelers. I am Alex Shane. Could not be happier to be back here with Rich Hill. For all you people that are only paying attention in the regular season, I don't blame you. We're back into it. Rich, how's it going, man?
0: Oh, the, the summer, the long wait is over. The Patriots haven't played a game. That- really matters since the one that matters the most you know they won the Super Bowl they're here to defend their title possibly make a fourth straight Super Bowl that would be absolutely incredible this is going to be the first week to kick it off before we get into the game against the Steelers on Sunday night let's go break down some of the roster moves that we saw the Patriots make as well as take a look around the league to see what has happened because big news old friend Jacoby Brissett. Is not only the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, he will be backed up by former Patriot backup quarterback Brian Hoyer, who signed a nice three-year contract with nine million guaranteed. Brissett also got an extension for worth 30 million over the next two years. Alec, are you surprised by that move?
1: Wait a minute. So you're telling me the old Patriots backup
0: is now the backup to the old Patriots backup? Yes. I think that's right. Who's on first? Wow.
1: That's a uh, quite a quite a- i mean I'm not surprised that Hoyer found a home elsewhere he's probably one of the better back quarterbacks in the league i'm a little surprised at the length of the deal. And I think it was $9 million guaranteed, you said? Yep. That's a lot of guaranteed money for a backup quarterback that you're hoping doesn't see the field at all this season. But I imagine it does show. What I'm actually more happy about is the faith the Colts had in Jacoby Brissett and the fact they're going to lock him up and he make him their guy going forward. Um, I'm, I'm wishing him the best. And they probably want Hoyer to fill the kind of Matt Hasselbeck role that's been played in the Colts in the past with a young, uh, veteran presence, younger quarterback, needs to learn the ropes. Even if he can't be on the field contributing, he can still have his ear – Playbook, breakdowns, film study, whatnot. So happy for both of them. I hope they do well enough to not usurp the Patriots in the AFC, obviously. But it's always good to see former Belichick, Brady, chain guys do well elsewhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not expecting Brissett to set the world on fire or anything like that. But he's probably a good enough starter that the Colts could really contend in an AFC South that is – kind of going through the motions a little bit. We don't know whether or not Jacksonville will have a good offense. They're going to have a new quarterback in Nick Foles. We have no idea if Tennessee is going to be good. Will Ryan Tannehill be their quarterback? And with the Texans, they just mortgaged their entire future because they don't have a general manager. And they gave up two first-round picks and a second-round pick to acquire Laramie Tunsell from the Miami Dolphins, as well as Kenny Stills. Do you think that shifts the power dynamic in the AFC with the Texans getting a little bit of offensive line help?
1: It's funny because, obviously, I had the Colts winning the NFC South pre-Andrew Luck's retirement. I don't think that I'm nearly as confident in that pick now. The Colts have a talented roster without Andrew Luck, no doubt, but Andrew Luck really was the key cog in that. The Texans, I don't know, man. They've had good teams in the past that had talent in the past, but they never really put it together for a full season and never quite delivered in the playoffs. So until they do that, I don't think Tunsil and Kenny Stills are suddenly two magic pieces to make this uh, a Super Bowl contender. So I have to ask a lot of questions as to why they gave up so much draft capital for two guys that I don't think are worth that, to be honest with you, and how they're going to move that going forward, especially with Andrew Luck having being out. That division, I think, is wide open pre this trade. So really scratching my head on that one.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually confused, too, because that was a move that is completely signifying that this is a, a winner get out of their season for Bill O'Brien, right? They've, they fired the general manager. If Bill O'Brien is not able to take the Texans to the playoffs— Definitely, he's out of there, but honestly, I would expect that he has to win at least one game in the postseason in order to be fine. And the fact that they traded away their future in order to get a player like Laramie Tunsil, who's a solid offensive lineman, he's good, he's ascending, so be it. But they also traded away Jadavian Clowney to the Seattle Seahawks for a third-round pick, which blows my mind, because if you're in win-now mode, I have no idea why you would trade a player away like Clowney, who really helps bolster that defensive front. What is happening with this Texans team right now? Yeah, I don't know. I think the AFC South, it's funny,
1: before all this madness of the past, say, two weeks, beginning with Andrew Luck, ending with the Texans' trades that they made— I had the AFC West as my division to watch because they have the Chiefs and the Chargers. They're going to be back and forth. I have no clue what the Broncos are going to do. The Raiders are on hard knocks. Antonio Brown has frostbite from cryotherapy, and he hates his helmet. That was a very exciting division to me. But the AFC South <laughs> has now taken over as the wildest, most intriguing division because I can see a 4 scenario over the next 16 weeks where any one of those four teams takes a division.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's completely wide open. I would say that I'm leaning towards the Texans, but it should be a really tight battle. I mean, the Titans have finished each the past three seasons, 9-7, and seven, so they'll be in contention. Jacksonville, they have one of the best defenses, but can their offense do anything? Who knows? The Colts as will probably go as far as Brissette can carry them. And then the Texans, I think, have the most talented team at the top of the roster, but will they be able to pull it together? That remains to be seen. Uh, one team that is not going to be in contention that has clearly mailed it in this this season is the Miami Dolphins. Not only did they trade away Laramie Tunsil, they traded away Kiko Alonso. They have been moving on from every single player that they have left and right. What is happening with this Dolphins team, and do you agree with their moves they're making?
1: Whenever you see a new coach come in, the coach wants to implement his system. He wants to bring in his guys, be it front office guys, be it players, whoever you want to say. And obviously Brian Flores is not like the current climate, and he wants to get his guys in there. Uh, I think the fatal flaw he made was declaring Brian Fitzpatrick the starter for week one because he's going to go 4-0 and and <laughs> throw for 25 touchdowns and 4,000 yards in those first four games before he totally falls off and sucks again. But, you know, look, I I think that the Dolphins have a plan in place. They're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. Most head coaches have a couple of years to get their guys in place and do what he decides to do. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see what the end game is. They must have a lot of faith in the 2019, 2020 draft. But, you know, Brian Flores, you were a good defensive coordinator. I hope you got a plan because if this doesn't really pay off, you could implode this team for years to come.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I like what they're doing if they're all on the same page. They're clearly not trying this year, and they've acquired so much draft capital that you have to think of those Cleveland Browns teams in 2016-2017. And I think right now the Dolphins are in a spot where they have eight picks in the first four rounds, and they have multiple picks in the next draft as well. So they're positioned where even if they lose a few games, they can still trade up to the first overall. And next year is going to have three really good quarterbacks we know in Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama, uh, Justin uh, Herbert out of Oregon, and then Jake Fromm out of Georgia. So those are at least three really good players that are available and are likely to declare and you know if they're not able to do it there's trevor lawrence coming out of clemson the year afterwards so they're positioning themselves that they should have multiple opportunities to get a top quarterback that can really shift the the future of this franchise and if you don't i could honestly see brian flores he took a five-year contract with the dolphins as opposed to the normal four year for a new head coach and i could see him being like hey guys uh I need five years because the first year is not going to matter. This is a terrible team. We're going to have to just start from scratch. And this year, give us a mulligan. We'll start over. Don't start evaluating what I can do with this team until 2020. And if that's what they're all in agreement on, where it's like, yeah, you know what? We don't have anyone on our team. And if you look at it, it's true. You know, other than Xavier uh, Howard at cornerback and Minka Fitzpatrick, they don't really have too much. Rashad Jones, I like a lot, but he's been dealing with injuries over the past few years. Uh I think Michael Dieter has a lot of promise at guard, but beyond those guys, I don't know. I mean, that it's a whole <laughs> lot of no one has any idea. And uh, this is a team that will absolutely be competing to go 0-16. We're in the
1: AAC still, Rich, and... There's a stigma around this division in that it stinks. It's always been bad. The Patriots have a cakewalk; they go at least five and one every year. Those stats have been debunked by multiple sources. Won't rehash it here. But do you see the Bills or the Jets making any noise this season, or is it once again the Patriots going there as the only AFC team making a even a remotely deep postseason run?
0: Uh, well, well, the Bills moved on from Lashawn McCoy, which was a curious move that they waited so long to do that with such a veteran player. Usually, teams would say. We don't know if you're in our plan, and we'll move on from you in like March or April to give you as much time as possible to land elsewhere. When I look at the Bills team, I think that they have one of the best defensive rosters in the entire league. They're going to be top 10 from a talent perspective, and depending on the continued development of their linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, uh, they could be one of the top five. I would not be surprised. They have just really good talent front to back on that defense. But when it comes to that offense, their offensive line was Awful last year. One of the worst that you'll ever see. They've invested a fair amount into it. They drafted Cody Ford. Uh, They signed Mitch Morse away from the Kansas City Chiefs. So they have invested a little bit into developing that. They've revamped some of their offense with the acquisitions of uh, Devin Singletary. Terry in the draft, they signed Frank Gore, who is always good for a 1,000 yards over the course of the season, signed Cole Beasley, who should have a nice ability to contribute coming out of the slot. They drafted two tight ends, Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney. So they have a whole new look on that offense. They have a great defense. Will they go anywhere? It depends on what Josh Allen can do. He had a nice uh, final stretch last year when he returned from his injury, but... I don't know. He still is not the most accurate quarterback. And I mean, if you're facing a rushing attack, I don't know how much of a concern they can be because I don't know how many home run opportunities they can have. It's the jets that I'd be a little more concerned about with their offense because Sam Darnold looked better than Josh Allen did, did over the second half. They added Le'Veon Bell. They uh, they actually just signed old Braxton Berrios. So he will be able to contribute to that offense. They signed Jamison Crowder and then their defense, I like them very much. Leonard Williams, Quinn and Williams, two very good defensive linemen, and then in the secondary, Jamala Adams is as good of a strong safety as you'll ever find. So I think that the Bills and the Jets will be competing for a wild card spot, but ultimately, it could just be the fact that they have to play the Patriots twice a year that they miss out.
1: And the Patriots, they will play twice a year. Is 53 men that have finally been solidified. A little bit of interesting back and forth. Some guys got cut and re-signed. There were some rumors of getting released. They changed their mind. Um, I was fairly accurate in my prediction. I, I some total misses, but that's to be expected. I definitely did not see Brian Hoyer getting cut. Uh, I did not see Demaryius Thomas getting cut, even though he was recently re-signed. I didn't see that coming at all. But for the most part, I'm very pleased with this roster. Uh, I'm not the over the moon about Nikhil Harry going to IR, but he's going to be back on the field after Week Eight, probably after the bye week. I'm looking at this roster top to bottom, Rich, offense and defense, a lot of reason for optimism here.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And when it comes to those roster projections, give everyone a, a second chance because we had no idea that Hjalte Froldholt or Nikhil Harry would wind up on the injured reserve. Harry with the ability to return later in the season, so. If you had Demarius Thomas on your roster, but he got bumped, that's not your fault. And then we had no idea they were going to acquire Russell Bodine from the Buffalo Bills. No one had any clue that was going to happen. He is going to compete with Ted Karras to be the starting center. So, I like a lot of the talent that the Patriots have. I think we should go position by position to talk about uh, what we liked about what the Patriots did here, as well as uh, what we think the upside might be for them. Starting with quarterback. uh, Tom Brady, he is who he is, but Jarrett Stidham showed it enough during this offseason to become the top backup. Do you think that's a decision that the Patriots uh, will be happy they've made over the course of the year? I think so. I mean,
1: I think I said earlier in the podcast in the the preseason, you know what you had with Brian Hoyer. He's going to be what he is. The upside is very limited. He's a solid guy. But I think we're in a position if Tom Brady were to go down this year due to injury or whatever, the Pages aren't going to make a very, very deep run. They probably will not be the AFC, East, AFC represented in the Super Bowl. So if that's the case, worst-case scenario, the doomsday plan, get the rookie in there, get him some meaningful game reps. You know, they'll go, you know, maybe – Seven and nine or six and ten or something like that. Worst case scenario again. And they, they reload. They have a, a year of quarterback experience over a rookie. Brian Horry is going to just kind of just tread water. You don't need that in the backup quarterback. Sidham had a solid preseason, so I am all about this move.
0: Yeah. I mean, in my head, the backup quarterback is, uh, it's one of two things. One is, yeah, it's that breaking case of emergency. If your quarterback's out for the season, you might as well have the young guy in there. But there is value in having someone with experience if you're only looking for a three, four-week stopgap. You know, if Tom Brady gets a concussion, who's going to step up into his place? Uh, if he, you know, suffers another hand injury like he had a few years back in the postseason, who's going to step up there for a few weeks until those stitches heal? And can Stidham be that guy? I liked a lot of what we saw during the preseason, so I think so. I think. I mean, you know what you have with Hoyer, exactly what you said, but stidham has a lot more of that upside i think he has a a lot more arm talent uh for whatever the heck that means and whatever that's worth than brian hoyer i feel like stidham ha- provides more ability to make every single throw and he would not limit the offense as much as Hoyer might with regards to uh, being able to make big plays down the field. It's a matter of consistency and it's a matter of how a rookie might fare under a lot of pressure that he would absolutely face were he to step into the starting lineup in case of a Brady injury. So if they believe that he can do that, so be it. That's fantastic. Um, Moving on from the quarterback position, we can look at kind of the the running back, wide receiver, tight end together because there aren't too many surprises here. Uh, specifically at the running back group, we knew that Sony Michel, James White, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Bolden, and James Devlin would make the roster. And at wide receiver, we knew that Edelman, Philip Dorsett, Josh Gordon, Jacoby Myers, and technically Matthew Slater would make it. Demarius Thomas is on the roster right now. Uh, He was bounced off for 24 hours because the Patriots knew that they needed to stash Nikhil Harry on that injured reserve uh, on the active roster. So they said, hey, Demarius, you're going to be on the team. We just need a couple minutes to make this deal. So I count him as making the roster. And then uh, the only real surprise was Gunnar Olszewski, who did a great job during the preseason and uh, really show that he has that special teams upside where maybe he can develop into a contributor in some other facet of the game. But so long as he's out there returning punts, returning kicks, so Edelman does not have to, I am a big fan. And finally at tight end, Ryan Izzo, Matt Lacoste. Who knows how that will be once Lance Kendricks and Benjamin Watson return from suspension. But Alec, looking at those skill players that I just blazed through right there, any surprises, any intrigue?
1: I was surprised they kept Lance Kendricks. I thought they'd cut him because suspension. I can't imagine he wouldn't be available to pick up in week two or three if they needed him. He didn't show me anything in the preseason made me think he was the guy I was surprised by the Gunner retention, and I was a little confused by how the news broke. Like, the Patriots cut him, then they changed their mind. I envision this scenario where, like, he's starting to pack his bag, and, like, some assistant comes running in. like, don't go, wait. (laughs) I don't know how exactly this worked out, but I'm glad he's on the team. I'd be very curious to see how many games he actually dresses for. Uh, There aren't very many players the Patriots hire as, like, a specialist outside of kicker and if all he's good for is punt and kick returns, I don't personally think that's worthy of a roster spot, even if you are staying off injury for Edelman or something like that. But So there's got to be some kind of plan for him in the offense. I just don't know what it is. I guess they thought he wouldn't make it to a practice squad. He'd get snatched up like like Berrios did, so they they used a spot on him. I hope they have a plan for him. He can be a good contributing factor to the offense, because if so, it's a great story.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, I think what they saw is that he – Fit in a little bit better into the offense than Braxton Berrios did, who had all of the opportunity in the world this offseason to really steal a starting job. And he didn't. You know, Jacoby Myers stepped up, outperformed him, and so did Gunner when he had that opportunity on the field as well. And the fact that Gunner is it, like he's electric as a returner, it seems like he has that ability that maybe he'll do the whole DJ Foster thing where he'll be a game day and active for his entire rookie season. This will be the red shirt season for him. But I think that. He has some upside. I'm not going to say that he's the future. He's not going to be an Edelman replacement or anything like that. And you look at this wide receiver group, it's a strong one. It is a very strong group. You have Edelman, Josh freaking Gordon who is back by the way. I don't think we can state that enough. And Demarius Thomas, that is one of the greatest top 3s that you'll ever see in 2013. And so I'm very excited to see what they have in the tank right now. Adam Philip Dorsett who can stretch the field as as a as a receiver and probably Ryan Izzo. That is a great offensive lineup right there. It gives them a lot of versatility and it's really going to put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses.
1: Yeah, no, it will. And I'm actually very curious to see whether they end up stashing Nikhil Harry on the IR the entire season. Uh, If this offense is clicking on all cylinders, receiving core is doing well, they may say let's keep him healthy and they don't need him this year. I don't know. I'd like to see him. I'm excited about him. But that's definitely a possibility. Um you did a really good job, flew through that really quickly. Let's talk about the O-line because I feel like the last time we talked, there was a completely different offensive line core. Uh, they got <laughs> rid of guys. They traded for guys. The The starting five are still the same. We got Wynn and Karras and Mason and Tooney, Cannon. But
0: the backups are now totally different, right? I, don't know if I lose my mind? Nope, absolutely. It's brand new. Patriots traded, acquired, made moves left and right. Uh, they acquired Corey Cunningham from the Arizona Cardinals. He has some starting experience at offensive tackle. So he will be the Patriots number three tackle for this season uh, behind Isaiah Wynn and Marcus Cannon. That is a great role. Belichick loves having uh, players with starting experience as his top backups. He can serve well in a pinch uh, especially seeing how the Patriots might want to monitor Wynn's return. And then Yoni Kajest is on the the non-football injury list, so he could return in the middle of the year as well. Uh, behind them, they also acquired Jermaine Illuminor from the Baltimore Ravens, who was supposed to be one of their starting guards for Baltimore, but he's kind of out of shape. He didn't take to the coaching staff, and he's the first player to admit that. You know, in his interviews, he said that, he uh, he didn't live up to the expectations that they had set for him. That's on him. And he's already working to get into better shape with the Patriots. And if there's any coach that's able to get a player that might have a little bit of a weight problem, we're talking about Trent Brown, Marcus Cannon. Those are two examples that we've had recently. It's Dante Skarniecki and Bill Belichick. Finding someone who has so much capability and developing them into someone who can really contribute. And whatever happens with Joe Tooney, who should be a free agent after this year, New England should be in good hands. And then they also have uh, Russell Bodine, who they acquired from the Buffalo Bills. He has started every single game of his career at center, so he has a lot of experience. He should push Ted Karras for that starting job. Bodine, uh, according to most of the scouts, is not the best center, but that could also just be be, you know him not having the best coaching under Martin Lewis and the Buffalo Bills. So two separate things with the Bengals and then the Bills. So he should push Ted Karras. I wonder how much Karras is... Uh, relationship and rapport with Tom Brady will factor into him being a starter. But as your top three backups, there's a lot of experience behind them. There's some upside with Cunningham, a lot of upside with Illuminor, and you get that stability with Bodine. So I like what they have backing up that top unit, but they have their in-house guys as the top five players that they've developed for a while. You know, these are all players that have been in the system. For multiple years, this is Win's second season with the team, but all the other players have had many, many years, and so this is a very solid group, a lot of consistency, and I like how Bill Belichick, Nick Casario, and the Patriots have set up the the offensive line protection for this year and for the, the years to come.
1: Totally, consistency and depth are two keys to the offensive line, and with skarnecki back there, I am not worried about it. Speaking of depth and consistency. Flipping the the field to the defensive side of the ball, I'm scrolling through right now the defensive line, the edge guys, and the linebackers, and this is a stacked unit. This front seven, I don't know exactly, maybe front eight, I don't know how they're going to do it, but probably the front seven is just absolutely loaded. I am really excited for the potential this defense shows. Who's your... If you had, is there any surprises for the defensive roster that made, it? I know I, I picked, uh, Shalil Calhoun, Shuli Calhoun. You were a little bearish on him. You didn't think he'd make it in. Mm-hmm. Anybody else
0: kind of going kind to of, kind of sneak on and surprised you? Uh, I was a little bit surprised, not, I mean, not during the roster cuts, but I had always expected Mike Pennell to make the roster because of how the Patriots valued him and how well he played for the New York Jets the year prior, but he was beat out by Danny Shelton. So I'm a little surprised with how much Shelton has improved and ascended in his second year with the Patriots. So, uh, I think that he will be the starter right next to Lawrence Guy and a little bit surprised that Byron Cowart is someone who made that top four rotation at defensive tackle also like his upside he flashed a lot of potential during the preseason I like what upside he has if he can continue to develop as a player but outside of uh the fact that Mike Pennell didn't make the roster and exactly what you said Shalit Calhoun making the team not too surprised by anything else but this is probably one of the deepest front sevens that we've ever seen under Bill Belichick
1: Totally. So much versatility and potential. And I really like about it, looking at it just based on their individual skill sets, everyone's kind of got their unique thing that they can bring to the defense. So as the Patriots get more and more game plan specific as the season goes on, I think we'll see a lot of very creative defensive packages out of Bill Belichick and Gerard Mayo, who's going to be on the sidelines calling some plays, which is really exciting. Uh, how about the secondary, Rich? That looks like a pretty standard secondary. I think you and I both were, were pretty accurate in our predictions there.
0: Yeah, uh only surprises were the trading away Keon Crossan for a sixth-round pick to the Houston Texans, and then trading Duke Dawson to the Broncos for a cup of coffee. So those are the two trades that the Patriots made, but honestly were those players going to make the team? I don't know. There are five better cornerbacks in front of them. I liked Crossan's upside, but if you were having to pick between him and some other player on the roster, you know, Patriots made that decision. They did not need a sixth cornerback. And so at cornerback, Gilmore, Jason McCourty, Jonathan Jones, those are your top three. They're great. JC Jackson, you could put him in that top four. So they'll probably utilize these cornerbacks based off of what the opposition is playing and with regards to opposing skill sets. Uh, throw Josuan uh, Williams out there as well. Uh, he'll play against the bigger receivers. Jonathan Jones will play against the speedy receivers. Gilmore will always be out there shadowing the number one. And Jason McCourty will be the one that can kind of play in and out of the slot. So a lot of potential for matchup games with that secondary. And when it comes to that safety group, Devin McCourty, uh, Patrick Chung, Daron Harmon gives you a lot of consistency back there. Uh, Terrence Brooks and Obi Melafonwu are two guys that should play a lot on special teams, but I liked a lot about what we saw from Brooks during the preseason. Had a lot of versatility out there, and I would not be surprised if he is viewed as a potential long-term replacement for Patrick Chung, uh, just as he continues to to age and just have a, a backup in the house for New England.
1: For sure. It's exciting stuff, and these guys are all ready to go, and they'll be taking on the Steelers in Week 1. We're going to break down Week 1's game in just a second. All right, man, so it's finally time to talk about the Patriots and the Steelers playing in Week 1 for real. They'll be unveiling their sixth Lombardi trophy, a lot of pregame hoopla. I think there are some former Patriots coming out to present the five other Lombardi trophies they've won in the past. Should be a really fun night, Sunday Night Football. Unfortunately, the Bears and the Packers are taking the traditional Thursday night opener. it's the 100th anniversary and all that hoopla. But before we get to Patriots-Steelers, as we always do, Rich, let's go around the league. Any games in particular, week one, that intrigue you besides Pat's Steelers?
0: Oh, yeah. There's going to be a few barn burners out there. Super excited, staying in the division. Bills-Jets. You know, Bills-Jets, super... I mean, you're going to have Sam Donald and Josh Allen. These guys are the future of the AFC East. <laughs> so it's going to be an absolutely incredible 12 to nine game. Really excited for that <laughs> one. Uh, but in reality, there are some good ones. Uh, Colts, Chargers, I am yeah. very excited to see how Jacoby Brissett fares in that one. I think that the Colts have more, like some of the most upside in the entire league. And then the Chargers have one of the most put together teams that have underachieved throughout the Bill Belichick era. So in- interested and excited to see what they do. But honestly, when it comes to the top games of this week, Chiefs Jaguars, uh, that is a 1 p.m. game on Sunday. Chiefs will, you know, debut Sean McCoy in the backfield. They have their high flying offense going against the Jaguars, who have probably the best defense in the league from a talent perspective. So, immovable force and then a wrecking ball from the Chiefs. Do you think that that game could be – I mean, these are the past two uh, AFC championship opponents that New England had on en route to going to the Super Bowl. Who do you think wins that one? This is at Jacksonville, correct? Correct.
1: She still win this one. I'm not worried <laughs> about
0: it. Um, I
1: get it. All you can really base your predictions and prognoses on in week one is how the team performed the year before. Jacksonville, for some reason, just stunk last year. They could never pull a full season together. They had issues. They're better now. They've, they've addressed those issues. But again, it's the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to come out swinging. The only thing I am concerned about or things I'm keeping an eye on is you cannot flip any page anywhere where there's football coverage without 10 people elbowing each other to talk about how great Mahomes is, how much potential this kid has, and how dangerous the Chiefs are going to be. You've seen teams in the past kind of implode under that kind of expectations. I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to do that, but it's something to think about at least. But I still say the Chiefs take this one and start off a pretty strong 1-0.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that too. I think that the Chiefs have a lot of upside. Their defense still has a lot of question marks. So we'll see how they pull together. They have some good talent on the upside. Uh Chris Jones is a good defensive lineman. They have Tyron Matthew and they're secondary now. We shall see what they're able to do. Uh Really, the other game that I would say I'm looking at is the Monday night early game because there's two Monday night games for Week 1. The early game, Texans at Saints. That is probably the only other game outside of Steelers-Patriots that I think it has the potential to be one of the best of the week. You have a lot of opportunity with the Texans. They'll have uh, Deshaun Watson, who's a very talented quarterback, uh, playing with DeAndre Hopkins, who in my mind is a top three receiver in the league. What are they going to do against a Saints team that also has one of the best offenses? A lot of opportunity for a high-scoring affair. I don't think either defense should be able to stop the opposing offense that much. So that is something that I will be excited to watch.
1: Are you at all—maybe not excited, Rich? but are you at least curious to see how the Ravens and Dolphins do on 1 o'clock on Sunday? They're at Miami. The Ravens are a question mark as well. They had a decent showing toward the end of the season. I think the Dolphins are in fire sale mode. How are that game going to shake out, you think?
0: I mean, have you ever been on the highway and all the cars just slow down? And it's just because, I don't know, like a tree branch is on the, like the, <laughs> the middle of the road. I feel like that's what it is with this Dolphins team, where it's like you're going to try to go be like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, what is going on? Why is this happening? What is, what is, what is happening in Miami with this Dolphins team? And then it's going to be a very unexciting event. You know, there are some teams that are spectacularly bad that you're like, I, oh, I I need to watch. I need to watch how they're going to find a way to implode this year. I don't think that's what this Dolphins team is going to be. I feel like they're just going to be a very unexciting 2-14 and 14 team. They will go out there. They will put up just a very mediocre 13 to 17 points every single game. They will allow probably 20 to 30 points every single game. That's what's going to happen. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Think that he has a lot of potential with the Ravens. So curious to see what he'll do because they'll have the entire offseason to tailor that offense. But because it's the Dolphins, I don't know if I would even tune into what's happening.
1: Somebody clearly has no faith in the Ryan Fitzpatrick cycle. Because we are. <laughs> Right smack dab in the get the start and tear it up for a couple games phase. So you're going to be eating your words come next week, buddy, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Well, However, that's the
0: whole part of the the Fitzpatrick thing, though, is that you have to doubt that it'll be exciting whatsoever. And then he'll just just magically do that thousand yard game. So the, you, the doubt is part of it. That's a good point. Fair enough. All right, enough of this madness. Let's get to why we're all here.
1: patriots Steelers. it's week one. The Patriots are hosting because they are Super Bowl champions. They should be playing a Thursday game, but we're not going to talk about that. Do you know, Rich, the Patriots have only lost one week one opener at home and it was against the chiefs in 2017 it's the only loss they are 14 and four in the tom brady era in week one they've lost at kc they lost at miami week one at buffalo t- in 2003 and at in 2001 the rest of the time they have dominated at home the steelers have been one of those teams that the patriots have owned them historically but once in a while they will step it up and and beat the patriots they did it last year for example in pittsburgh I'm looking at the Steelers team, given the off season they had, the tumult with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell holding out, I've heard rumors of Mike Tom lost the locker room. They have some talented players on the roster, but I just can't quite get a read on what kind of Steelers team we're going to see, not only in week one, but in the season as a whole.
0: Oh, totally. I agree. Because <laughs> I look at this team and I would not be surprised if the Steelers at the end of the day are in the postseason either winning the AFC North with like a 10 and 6 record or being in a wild card team at 9 and 7, 10 and 6, something like that. But you, I just look at this roster and I'm like, Okay, like this is fine. I mean, James Connor is a solid running back. I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a great receiver, but behind him, I'm like, uh, Dante Moncrief has always underachieved. James Washington, is he going to break out this year? I don't know. Vance McDonald, underwhelming as a tight end, but he'll somehow put up 600, 700 yards this year, but it's not going to be great or mind-blowing. The offensive line is always going to be solid. They do a great job there, but... On the defensive side, I'm just always unimpressed with their defensive scheme. I don't know. It's just like they can do their job against terrible teams, terrible offenses, and they will always crumble against good offenses. This is a Steelers team that I'm not afraid of, especially because there's no Le'Veon Bell, there's no Antonio Brown, and honestly, the Patriots have rarely played uh, against all of those top players at the same time with the Steelers, so this shouldn't be too different. But I'm just not too scared of this, the Steelers roster.
1: No, I'm not either, especially looking at the defensive side of the ball. They have one cornerback over six feet tall. And he's the rookie Cameron Kelly. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, he's uh, the, the first-year guy, Cameron Kelly. He's had one year in the league. Justin Lane's also 6'2", I'm thinking of. He's the rookie. So they do. Uh, and uh, they just don't have the the size to match up with the Patriots' suddenly massive receiving core. It's so weird to say that, because I'm so used to these guys being like 5'9", but the Patriots have two very, very big receivers in Demarius Thomas and Josh Gordon, both of whom will be on the field on Sunday night, and the Patriots are all about creating matchups, and looking at the Patriots' offense versus Steelers' defense, I just see the Patriots matching up much more favorably in that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the Steelers have and will continue to play their traditional zone defense. They'll have some man concepts out there. That is why Artie Burns uh, plays what he does, and Joe Hayden just got a nice little extension as well. He's a solid cornerback, but again, fine. I'm not going to say he's not a top-ten cornerback or something like that. So if you have your Josh Gordon, Demarius Thomas, and Julian Edelman out there, you're just going to overwhelm the Steelers' defense with with, uh, just ability and uh, you just see that defensive front seven of the Steelers. They're going to be solid. Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, they're good defensive linemen. Uh, and then you go to that next level. Devin Bush is an exciting rookie. Uh The Patriots tried to get Anthony Chiquillo away on the edge a little bit ago, and TJ Watt has a lot of upside. I think he's a good player. But... With the Patriots' offense, I would expect that they'll be able to run the ball well enough, and then their passing attack won't be able... Like, will just overwhelm the Steelers because there's just too much talent. There's just a huge talent advantage for the Patriots and I am honestly excited to see what this Patriots offense looks like in a way that I probably haven't since the 2007 Patriots when Randy Moss didn't practice like during the preseason and then all of a sudden just erupted in week one that's kind of how I'm feeling because Demarius Thomas showed us a little flash in week four but he didn't do it with Tom Brady so I'm excited to see how he'll perform and can Josh Gordon pick up where he left off and can Julian Edelman pick up where he left off from the Super Bowl So this Patriots offense, all the potential in the world, and I think that they're just better than the Steelers. Uh, Who would your X factor be for the Patriots offense?
1: You know, it's funny, man, because all those questions you just asked about how they're going to match up against Edelman and and Gordon and Demaryius Thomas and what they're going to do. I think that's why my X factor is actually Sony Michelle in this game. I think they're going to be a strong focus on the passing game, slowing down the passing attack, which I think will open up the underneath roots for Sony Michelle. I'm very curious to see if he gets utilized a little bit more as a pass catching back. He was working on that this offseason. He's still your first and second down kind of grind him out guy. But I think he has a big night as the Steelers trying to get more and more uh, focused on stopping the passing attack opening up their running game completely for Michelle.
0: Oh, I like that too. And the, the Patriots are able to have their way running it on the ground. Then that's just going to set the tone. The Steelers are a team that always seems to kind of check out if they're getting physically overwhelmed. So if the Patriots can do that, that'll be great. And that's part of why my X factor is going to the offensive line. Uh, I'm looking at both Isaiah Wynn and Ted Karras. So I just don't know who's going to be the center. So I'm going to phone in, uh, focus in on Isaiah Wynn here. And the Patriots... Uh, they have a lot of experience with Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, and Marcus Cannon, but Isaiah Wynn on the edge, on the blind side. I'm sure that the Steelers are going to test him, test his communication ability next to Joe Tooney, try to stress him a lot. And if Isaiah Wynn can go out there and perform at a high level, then I would expect the Patriots offense to operate at full capacity and just really come out just looking incredible. And if not, uh, they could just be in for a little bit of a roller coaster experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Steelers, when they win games, they impose their will. They hit hard, and as we all know, if the Steelers can penetrate the offensive line, which, granted, has two big question marks. They have a newish center in Ted Karras and basically a rookie in Isaiah Wynn. That's two major cogs in a five-man unit that could be problematic. You never know, and if the Steelers can get pressure and penetrate and not to blitz too much, they can get rattled Tom Brady, and we all know what happens when Tom Brady gets rattled. This is not a new story. Will it happen? We will soon see. However, Rich, I think that when it comes to the defense, you touched on earlier that how there's not really a, a player beyond Juju Smith-Schuster that really stands out to you as a dangerous weapon, and Belichick will probably scheme himself away from him, maybe get Stefan Gilmore on him with a little bit of safety help, and everyone else can match up pretty well on their individual one-on-one guys. How do you overall see the Patriots defense sacking the Steelers' offense?
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of man coverage. I would expect the Steelers to try and move – uh, Smith-Schuster around their offense to try and get him those favorable matchups, to line him up in the slot because maybe Stefan Gilmore won't follow him there, but I would expect the Patriots if I were them, if I were Bill Belichick trying to scheme this, I would say uh, Dante Moncrief or James Washington, whichever player is going to be on the outside. I would trust Stephon Gilmore against them on an Island. And I would trust Stephon Gilmore to do a great job of racing them from the game. And then we could have a similar sort of matchup that the Patriots did against Tyreek Hill and the chiefs in the AFC championship game, where you could have both McCourty brothers bracketing him. And Smith Schuster is that type of a player where, you know what, you probably should bracket him. You should have two players dedicated to him because he is that dynamic of a player. And, uh, if that is what the Patriots are doing, do, if they're able to kind of limit Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't expect Vance McDonald to win the game. I wouldn't be shocked if he finished with, like, 50 yards or something like that. But I don't expect him to break the game open. And uh, the big matchup, I would say, is who is going to cover James Conner out of the backfield? He's a very adept receiver. He's a huge running back coming out of the backfield. But if New England tries to cover him with Kyle Van Noy or Jamie Collins— who knows? I mean, Jamie Collins. We haven't seen him in a little bit. If he's able to pick up where he left off a few years back as being a great coverage linebacker, then uh, that'll also just be a nice indicator for the rest of the year. But however the Patriots match up against James Conner is going to figure like kind of be the reason why the the Steelers' offense will be limited or just inconsistent.
1: No, it's it's true. I think that running backs out of the backfield has been a thorn in New England's side since I can remember. And Jamie Collins, one of the reasons he didn't quite stick his first time rounds, because he would be freelancing and he'd blow his coverage assignment and decide to blitz and use his athleticism to make up for that. I'd like to hope he learned his lesson and that he's a decent coverage linebacker. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I think if the Steelers are going to win this game, Is going to be through the legs of of James Conner. I agree with you. And Belichick is very good at eliminating that weapon. So he's going to be the the secondary, third, tertiary guy that ends up getting it done. Defensively, Rich, who's your X-Factor?
0: That's a good one. Uh, I I Honestly, I'm seeing the Steelers team and saying that their offensive line is absolutely their strength. And so focusing on the Patriots defensive front seven, how are these players going to hold up against such a good Steelers offensive unit? And the linebackers of the Patriots are going to be incredibly important. But I'll look up towards the, the line of scrimmage and just say Lawrence Guy. He was the Patriots' best defensive lineman last year. Will he be able to continue as a disruptor on the interior? Can he blow up those plays before they're able to develop into the second level? If Lawrence Guy can neutralize this offensive interior of the Steelers, then Pittsburgh's not going to have an offense. And the Patriots should win this one comfortably.
1: They should. Uh, I'm going to take the the opposite side of the field and go. Daron Harmon as my X factor. Ben Roethlisberger likes taking shots downfield. If the Steelers get down by a couple scores, have to play catch up. They have to abandon the running game. Should that be happen, he's going to do a couple of deep shots down the field. He's very good at avoiding the sack. Ben Roethlisberger is scrambling around and hucking it down there. Daron Harmon's kind of the king of interceptions. So maybe he he starts off his career for the 2019 season. Excuse me, with, with getting a, a pick back there. And I can see him using him more, uh, spelling with Jason, uh, Devin McCordy, excuse me, as the deep safety and then Patrick Chung up closer to the line. Maybe him on James Conner, if, if, if that's really a factor. So we're gonna, whoever's playing the deep safety, be it McCordy or Darren Harmon at the time, they're gonna have a lot of field to cover. I'd love to see Harman get a pick or so this game.
0: Oh, that'd be great. Uh it, it seems like it's a classic to have Harman out there as the closer, always winning the game, making that game deciding interception. So I would absolutely love to see that happen. It should be a great game. Patriots will be playing the Steelers on Sunday night, eight twenty. Alec, I think it's time. Let's do our first predictions of twenty nineteen.
1: All right, let's do this. Uh, I'm going first because I feel like it, it's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is a game where it's very easy to pick the Patriots to win this game. They'll be at home depending on their title, a lot of energy. They're raising the sixth banner, like I mentioned. It's a good build-em-up game. They've beaten the Steelers week one in the past. Uh, Like I said, I just can't get a read on the Steelers team. If this was in Pittsburgh in week, say, 12 or 13, I think it'd be a lot harder for me to call this. But looking at these rosters, the momentum, the intangibles, I cannot see the Patriots losing this game to the Steelers. I think they take this one 28-17. Ooh,
0: I like that. It'll be a nice way to raise the banner. Uh, I'm expecting a little bit more offensive production from both sides. Uh, not greatly, but I expect the Patriots offense to come out, surprise the Steelers defense a little bit, show that life without Rob Gronkowski is still going to be a nightmare for that Pittsburgh defense. And I expect the Patriots to win this one something like 34 to 24.
1: 34 to 24 and hopefully it's like 34 to 10 and those last 14 are garbage points one thing i would love to start off this season with is a nice relaxing win on a sunday night i don't need any more nail biters i'm getting too old for this stuff rich i want to see a little more gaps in between my wins i would love to see that as well
0: oh absolutely and we will have more information about this game on patspulpit.com we will have some post-game commentary as well next week and some previews for week two uh But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Patriots, Steelers, Sunday night. Alec, do you have any final thoughts?
1: Strap on the helmet, buddy. We're back after it.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Looking forward to another great year with you. And until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See ya. Later, man.